Well, hello, Emily. Hello, Jennifer. Jennifer, it's season two. It is season two. How does it feel? Do you feel like it's been a whole season? Well, on one hand, it feels great. Um, My students and I talked about Ted Bundy today, which was interesting. And then I saw a tiny puppy on campus. And I enjoy recording very much, so it feels wonderful. On the other hand, it has not been as long of a break for us as it has been for our listeners. So it just doesn't feel quite as unusual. How about you? Well, I'm a little jealous because I don't have students to talk about Ted Bundy to. I did not see a little puppy on campus, but I did just finish eating some delicious tilapia. Tilapia? I used to know someone who said that he, uh, when he was bored, he used to like just go around Instagram and on pictures that weren't food, he would leave food comments. Like, if it was a picture of someone's cat, he would put, like, what kind of tilapia is that? <laughs> and that always makes me think of... That's what I always think of when someone says tilapia. So the cat is tilapia? I mean, I or guess so. the tilapia cat? Uh, you know, I have eaten tilapia... But I've never eaten a cat, so maybe cats are like tilapia on the inside. Maybe. We'll find out. I mean, well, I one mean, day, right, when we cook the pets? Yeah, we're going to cook the dogs. It stands to reason we'd have little cat appetizers or something, too, you know? What? cat appetizers? hey <laughs> I don't deserve friends. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that saying of yours. I think it's so funny. Oh my god, sushi. Sorry. It's sushi the cat, not the food. He is generally a very chill cat, and right now he's decided that he needs to go kitten on my arm. So a cat named Sushi is or is not definitely tilapia. I mean, he might be. I don't know. There's not really tilapia sushi there's other fish he might be a a salmon a salmon sushi a salmon sushi with a big old fat pink belly (laughs) aside from eating our pets welcome to all things terror this is a podcast where we tell you terrifying tales um not just about meats but sometimes about people meats or science or I don't know. Or tilapia meat. Tilapia meat? (laughs) This is the first time we've said tilapia on the podcast, and we are saying it a lot. (laughs) We We got to get it in while we can. Jennifer, do you have a story to tell me pertaining to tilapia or not tilapia? Terror lapia, if you will. In fact, I do have a terror lapia story for you. Oh, Terralapia. I I just picture like an exceedingly strange looking fish that also somehow has fangs. And a little like a little Dracula cape. <laughs> How come every fish we talk about is some type of vampire? Because fish are weird and cold and distant foreign animals. That is fair. And somehow that's also vampire. Yeah, cold, distant, foreign, Transylvania. All these things, yeah. Okay, I buy it, I buy it. Hashtag Um, science. (laughs) 
We are very scientific. <laughs> um, so my Terralapia story, it's one that I picked because there's probably about three different things that really kind of get under my skin about this story. Sushi! The first thing that really bothers me is the group of people that this thing happened to. No, I'm already feeling like nervous in my stomach because you said a group of people and something happens to them. Yep. Oh, Uh, sushi is meowing in the background also. Oh my god. Season two is apparently the season of the pets. Season two is season of the sushi. Yeah, he's like, excuse me, I am the guest host now. Get out of here. Jesus Christ. Okay, so something bad happens to a group of people. <laughs> yes, in specific, specifically for me, it is the group of people that this thing happened to um, that I find chilling. Uh, two, this story kind of bothers me for the, for, hold on. I can't use words again. <sighs> the story bothers me because of who did the things and what they were inspired by. The perpetrators of things? The yes, per- the perpetrators. Perpetrators? The, the doers. The doers. <laughs> the, doers the doers of the doing. <sighs> that sounds like it could be an interesting band. Like, <laughs> it'd be an early 90s band, like the... Uh, the 500 miles guy and I would book 5,000 like that kind of band would be called the doers of the of the doings yes and it would be equally repetitive (laughs) their music yeah I do the do and I do the things (laughs) I'm an excellent singer okay rewinding my brain here so um I'm disturbed by the group of people who have things done to them. I am disturbed by the people who do the things and the reason, the inspiration behind their doing. And the third thing that really gets to me is the effects of the things being done. So I know that's all very specific and it's going to be tedious for me to go through the details of what's going on because I was so specific in the beginning. But now I'm going to get into specifics. This just sounds like you're setting it up for a a real bummer from start to finish. Well, we'll start with the first bummer. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Chowchilla? Have I ever heard of Say It Again? Chowchilla. Chowchilla. No, but I am picturing a Godzilla body with a chow dog's head. A big fluffy head and just like stomping around like being like, give me my puppy treats. Yeah, but the dog head is really cute and is making cute puppy barks and like panting and licking. But the Godzilla body is being destructive and mean and dinosaurish. It sounds like we have the basic storyline for our future terrible movie that we're going to (laughs) release. I mean, if by terrible you mean blockbuster hit, then yes, correct. Listen, all I'm saying is that if Sharknado can be a movie, Chowchilla can be a movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should just skip 
the like the first movie should be called like Return of Chow Chilla or Chow Chilla's Revenge, something that implies that this is a sequel to something else, just to really cement its like place in the pantheon of bad B movies. I agree. This is a good idea. <sighs> I guess it, we'd have to rename it Chowzilla, but set that one off to the side. It's on the table. We gotta <laughs> talk about writing this movie after we get done with this podcast. Chowchilla, so, the real Chowchilla. What's up? <laughs> so Chowchilla is in California. This is 1976, and we are in the wonderful, beautiful July weather. There are 26 children between the ages of 5 and 14. Oh no, the children aren't the doers, are they? I I admit nothing. Oh no. So okay, so I feel like either the children do something evil or something evil is done to children. Okay, so I'm actually just going to tell you the story of Children of the Corn. I'm just <laughs> pretending like I did research and I'm making up names for this place. <laughs> I would totally buy it. I've never seen that movie. Like, I get the reference, but I haven't seen it. So, 26 children between the ages of 5 and 14 are living their best Children of the cor- Corn life in Chowchilla. <laughs> but actually, they were students attending summer classes at... Wait for it. Dairyland Elementary. <laughs> I don't know how much, like, how more rural can you get than Dairyland Elementary? I mean, that does sound like the name of an elementary school at the beginning of some B horror movie, like how Buffy the Vampire Slayer lives in, is it Sunny, Sunnyvale? Sunnydale? Something. Yeah, that's what it reminds me of. Well, and also, how close is it to Disneyland? Oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I just, I have to know, was someone being clever with that name or just unintentionally clever? Right, like, like the next town over is where Disneyland is, and they're like, well, we're going to parody that. We're Dairyland, y'all. We are hilarious. Right. My friends think I'm funny. I mean, our friends think we're funny, and look at us now. We have a podcast. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A a clearly very successful podcast. Yeah, and by friends, I mean we think we're funny. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, they were attending summer classes at Dairyland Elementary, and they were on their way back from a field trip. Are you ready for it? Oh, no. From the Chowchilla Fairgrounds swimming pool. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a small town, so that actually sounds super reasonable to me. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, these are kids going to summer classes at Dairyland Elementary, and their field trip is a swimming pool at a fairground. I am pretty jealous right now. What did you say it was, like, 1976? Was that the year? 1976. Yeah, so they probably, like, you went swimming in gym class and stuff. Exactly. And the bus driver, uh, his name is Frank Edward Ray, but he just goes by Ed Ray. Like you do. Like you do. Um, Because that's also a very 70s kind of name. (laughs) Yeah. So they're on their way back, and there are, all of a sudden, 
around four o'clock, three armed men blocking the road um, <gasps> that this bus is on. What? Stop. They have shotguns. Stop. I mean, not really stop. I mean, like, what the hell? But I stopped. No. <laughs> You're like, yes. what? What? I'll do what you say. Oh, my Whatever God. Whatever you want. Stop yelling at me. Three armed so, men. Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to be quiet. I have never heard of this. So three armed men stop this bus that's on its way back from this wonderland of a summer school field trip. Hold up the bus with three, uh, these three men. Hold up the bus with shotgun. What ends up happening is that these three men kidnap the 26 children and the bus driver. Wow. Now, let me ask you. True or false, they kidnap the children by driving away with the bus. Oh, I mean... I don't know how else you're going to transport 26 children unless they're already dead. So, yeah, true. I mean, that or you're just, like, marching them into the desert, which seems worse. So I'm going to go with true. False. False. Oh, no. So apparently they hid this bus somewhere. (gasps) And they took the kids and the driver and they separated them into two different vans. And they drove them around for 11 hours. What? This is bananas. It gets better. Um. Do you mean better or do you mean worse? I mean better worst. <laughs> I mean big bad worse next. <laughs> so 26 kids and a bus driver in two vans for 11 hours. They're in, they were in Chowchilla, California, and somehow they ended up in Livermore, California. That's about 100 miles away. Oh my god. And they didn't just end up in Livermore, California. They ended up in Livermore, California, in a quarry. In a quarry? This sounds like the beginning of a Batman movie. Yes, it is a Batman movie. Uh, You got me again. So I'm (laughs) actually mushing two stories together, like a Batman uh, cartoon special and Children of the Corn smushed into one story. (laughs) Haha, busted. You might ask yourself, well, you know, Jennifer, this all sounds bananas, as I said earlier, but why a quarry? What are they going to do? Why kidnap the children to begin with is actually the bigger question (laughs) I'm asking. But, you know, we don't often get answers to to questions like that when we've got people who do things like this in the mix. Well, I will tell you this. They're is light motivation that I can explain to you, but it's not going to make you feel any better. (sighs) So, these three dudes imprison the kids and the bus driver inside a van, another van, yet another van, that has been buried underground (gasps) in the quarry. Oh my god. Now, inside the van, there was limited provisions... So some food, some water, and for some reason, a fuck ton of mattresses. Ew. After, so they were in that buried van for 16 hours before a thing happened. Oh my gosh, that van must have smelled so bad. So I'm going to pause for a second. They were kidnapped at around 4 o'clock. They were 
driven a hundred miles away for roughly eleven hours, and then these people were trapped in a van that's buried in a quarry for roughly sixteen hours. So is that like thirty hours? It's a lot of fucking time. <laughs> it's too many hours. So, um, there are interviews of survivors of the ordeal, and one of the things that they uh, started to describe was that the roof and the van started to cave in. <gasps> and at that point, um, the older children and the bus driver knew that they were going to die. <gasps> oh. With a bit of you know, manpower and determination and creativity, they started stacking the mattresses. And when they stacked the mattresses, they were actually able to reach, like, this hole that was in the top of the van. Oh, my God. The hole in the top of the van is interesting because it was covered with a metal plate, and it was also uh, weighed down using apparently uh, like these hundred pound industrial batteries oh my gosh i mean all of this feels so strange but like i guess good job on using those weird ass it's like heavy batteries you have lying around resourceful they're resourceful i guess yeah resourceful hijackers i guess well what happened was uh ed used like a stick or something to prop up the metal plate and then remove the batteries and having removed the batteries they were able to push the plate off dig their way out and they escaped after being underground for 16 hours oh that makes me happy i was picturing kind of like Otto, the bus driver from the simpsons um but this guy is now more (laughs) like he's like a superman hero character or something yeah he he is great and what's awesome about ed is like i guess he had a pretty close relationship with these 26 kids they all regarded him as a hero like there's a whole day i think it's like february something where maybe it was february 26 not entirely sure on that i could be making that date up and i did not write it down but they call it ed ray day oh i love that so he's celebrated. That's heartwarming. Um, so, end of the story here is that it's a happy ending, right? Uh, Everyone escaped. No one was harmed. As you and I have learned through doing Physically. all things terror, whenever there's a happy ending, that means that there's about to be something not chill happening. <laughs> so let's talk about some not chill things. Mm. The three men. So they they're interesting. Uh... <laughs> First off, I'm not going to start naming names yet. I'm just going to describe to you who they are. Okay. They're all from wealthy families. Um. The motivation was basically they were going to ransom these people for some money. Okay. One of the people who committed the kidnapping was the quarry owner's son. Okay, that makes sense. Because, like, how else would you know, like... That a quarry was even there and what to do about it. And the truck, or the van, truck, whatever, I believe that the kids were buried in happened to be registered to the quarry owner's son. 
Oh, honey, <laughs> you're real dum-dum. <laughs> the accomplices were Richard and James Schoenfeld. They were, all these people were caught very quickly. Yeah. And what's interesting about this and I haven't been able to confirm 100% this is true, but it was talked about in one of the like evening news channels about this kidnapping was uh, the whole bus kidnapping thing was inspired by a scene in Dirty Harry. Shut up. Oh, I feel like I've seen, I have seen Dirty Harry and I feel like I'm reminding I wonder if that's why he said it reminds me of a Batman movie. I wonder if my brain was actually thinking to like 20 years dirty earlier and it's dirty, dirty, hairy Batman. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. I just want to pause here. It's interesting to me that basically these people that are mostly well off probably watched a movie and go, you know, we can borrow from this and like kidnap some you know, kids on their summer field trip bullshit. How much and, uh, speed were they on is a question I have. I have no idea. Right, <sighs> You have to be a little bit batshit to think, like, this was a good plan. But more importantly, like, who the fuck uses the truck registered to their name and also, like, use a location directly linked to them? That's going to be, like, the dumbest criminal shit I've ever heard in my life. Well, yeah. Also, I was thinking, like, oh, they're holding them for ransom. Okay. But then I was like, you have a van. I mean, it's not like you have no money. <laughs> right? You have some means in your... You know, why didn't you just sell the van? Yeah. Sell the van, people. Listen, when your back's up against the wall... Don't kidnap children. Sell the van. It's so it's so dumb. We've all been there. Um, We've all been like, listen, I've got a van. Should I sell it? Should I traumatize, you know, two dozen strangers? <laughs> the choice is clear. But no, sell the van. So or those batteries. I think you can recycle those batteries for like some money. So I mean, you are at a quarry and you spent all that time digging a hole and putting a van in it. Just do what every other meth user does. Go strip copper wiring from a construction site. So, um... Also, real quick, no offense to meth heads. That's just what meth heads did in the town where Clint and I went to college. So, apparently so what you're you saying get... is that there's, like, more variety of meth head behavior. I'm sure there is. You know? It's like <laughs> regional meth head behavior as opposed to a universal. Well, um... So you're not, you're not wrong. There, there are iterations actually of this incident in popular culture. There's a Walker, Texas Ranger episode where there's like children buried alive. There's a Bones episode where they're buried alive and they have to like get rescued before they run out of air. Yeah, there, there's all kinds of things like this. And it seems like, I mean, you go, well, is that just people's imagination yeah and like, it, it oh, sounds yeah. hollywoodish right but this really happened in the world so people who have really no i mean i can't say that they don't have any financial stress but they come from a wealthy background kidnap a bunch of kids and bury them alive 
<laughs> kids who are in summer school. So, I mean, come on, they're already not having a great time of things. Right, they have to go to sc- they have to go to school during the summer. Oh. And they get like, you know, the swimming pool trip. That's the thing that they have to look forward to. It's probably like the end of the summer semester. Good job everybody. Like in a buddy movie where they start off as like enemies, but by the end they've all bonded. This is what I'm picturing. And then on the way home, then they get kidnapped. <laughs> it was a great time. And you know what? I'm looking forward to summer school again. May- oh my God. And those are shotguns and my life is over. Yeah. It's like the breakfast club. If the breakfast club involved six year olds and being taken hostage by shotguns. <laughs> so not really entirely the breakfast club. But just, just with a different <laughs> ending. So right, you you we have like basically three inept people who have no real motivation to do the thing that they did, but they did it. But these kids escape, and you think everyone is happy, and their hugs and kisses, and the world is like singing joyful songs. Oh no! Did one of their parents well, not like pick them up or something? <laughs> they were late to picking them up. This was the worst day right. ever. After being kidnapped, and then your your mom forgets to pick you up from the police station. Right. And then you're like, Mom, like, don't you understand? Like, I've just been kidnapped and buried underground for, like, 16 hours. Like, I've missed a whole day of my life. She's like, what? I'm here now. I'm sorry, okay? I was smoking in my office because it's the 70s and you can still do that. And smoking isn't bad. So, right, everybody's minus that one kid whose mom was late to pick them up. Everyone's had happy life stories at this point. Not true. Hmm. So there's like an episode of Inside Edition that talks about, uh, talks to survivors, uh, particularly women who were victims of the kidnapping in their adult life, and their lives have been racked by this. Right, um, they're all extremely claustrophobic, I would imagine. They suffer from panic attacks, um, nightmares. They have weird fears, such as being in the dark, certain sounds, cars. Uh, apparently, one of them uh, had shot someone whose car broke down in front of their house. Oh, oh um, no, that's heartbreaking. So, yeah, they they all, you know, this is years and years after a kidnapping. You know, they experience all kinds of trauma still. And I guess, like, there was mention of substance abuse. I mean, obviously, they're depressed and have panic attacks and these kinds of things yeah. as well. But the one of the things that I remember one of the women talking about in the interview was just like, I cannot sleep without a nightlight. I mean, this is just further reason why you should always sell the van, not kidnap the children. Yes. You should always sell the van, don't kidnap children. But that phrase is really chilling to me because on the one hand, it's very rational. Like, she was buried alive. Yeah. Right? Yeah, if I was but buried this... alive, I would also sleep with a nightlight. But this is someone who is buried alive as a child and can't sleep at night without a nightlight, which basically reverts her back to that childhood every night she has to go to sleep. Aww. Well, I think a lot of times at the end of our stories, I feel like you and I both sort of try to get to like a what did we learn to to make it feel like 
I don't know. What did we learn makes me feel a little bit more optimistic or like, oh, here's a silver lining. We learned something. And I mean, I think this story really shows that, you know, trauma is a real thing and abuse or bad things happening to you as a child echo and reverberate for a really, really long time and come out in weird ways. Like when you were saying that some of the survivors are like afraid of certain sounds or the one guy who like shot someone because he is, his car broke down in front of his house. I mean, I can't imagine what like a scary, dangerous world that man lives in. Well, and that's 26 people that there's, there's no normal for anymore. Yeah. Well, and also, like, their trauma has caused them potentially to do bad things that could get them in trouble, Yeah, you know? Well, and I think also, uh, like, there's something, too, because when you were like, there's 26 people, I was like, that's right. Like, there's something about not being alone that even though that would be a terrifying, scary situation, the the comfort of still being around other humans and knowing that there are humans alive who know what you've been through... And yet that still, you know, cannot totally keep at bay all of these demons. Imagine how scary that would be if you were alone. Yeah, there's limited comfort that you get from being like, and there's somebody else who went through this with me. Because, you know, if everyone's dis, even if you're together, you can still be dysfunctioning together, right? Yeah. There's no, like, where's your model of like, you know, and this had zero negative impact on my life person because that person doesn't exist and it would be unreasonable to expect that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm not going to spend any time talking about the doers. The two accomplices are out on parole and they've been kind of dodgy about talk talking about what they did in their past and maybe a little bit flimpit, uh, flippant in their comments to the media. Are you serious? Fuck those guys. Yeah. You know, they don't, I mean, maybe they don't care about how they traumatize, like, 26 children, or maybe they do and they don't want to talk about it. It doesn't matter. It's just they're not really talking about it. Well, I, one of the podcasts that I listen to a lot is called Ear Hustle, and it's recorded inside San Quentin, and it's not really a true crime podcast. It's just sort of about, like, what is it like to be in prison, and, like, they'll have a topic, like, on one episode, they're talking about food. On another, they're talking about family. And they just interview a bunch of people about what it's like. And they don't talk about their crimes too much. Every once in a while, they will. But it's, you know, San Quentin is in California, which has a three strikes law, which is like, if you get three anything, you go to life for like, or you go to prison for life. And it's really ineffective. But so this one guy had been like a drug addict and so he had two drug arrests and then his third one he was like at a store and the clerk like bent over and went to do something and he took like thirty dollars out of the cash register and he got caught and that landed him in prison for life and there are all these nonviolent crimes and the other thing more more to the point really is that a lot of these people will talk about like do I want to get out? Yes. Do I deserve to get out? And they'll be like, you know, I don't know. I feel like I can't do that. Or that's not for me to say, you know, I, I have victims out there, you know, I murdered someone or I hurt someone and they have family and, you know, it's really up to them if I deserve to get out or not. And, 
you know, I can make amends and I can take responsibility, but I also have to accept that that's not enough. And like, you can hear these guys who are doing the work and who are like trying to understand the magnitude of their crime and trying to make a meaningful reparation for it. And they're still in prison. And then these guys who get out and won't speak and are just like, Meh, whatever. And that just doesn't seem fair. Well, you know, it wasn't fair for all those kids to get kidnapped in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, like, but that's something, you know, I think we touch upon all the time, right? Is like, people who have the bad things happen to them don't necessarily deserve to have the bad things happen to them. And sometimes it's like, there's no justice for anything, right? Yeah. It's, it's a hard spot, you know? But, yeah, it is, I guess it's upsetting to hear how much hurt and trauma, even if you were the person who was like, oh, yeah, I, this, I was buried alive and, you know, 90% of the time I'm fine, but sometimes I have a nightmare. And it sounds like none of those people are that. They have it way worse. But even if that was the case, you know, you still don't get to be flippant for, scaring the bejesus out of someone for 37 hours. Yeah, one of the Schoenfeld, uh, Schoenfeld, I can't remember which one he got, when he was released on parole, news crew caught up with him and it's just like, hey, what about the victims of your crime? What do you have to say to them or this kind of thing? And he was just like, I wish them all well. But like, you know, not like, I wouldn't say very genuinely, just like, I wish them all well. Get the fuck out of my face, cameras. Right, just this is um, what my lawyer has informed me to say at the end. Not even. He was walking and just, like, trying to avoid the... Me I I need to send this clip to you, but he he just felt... Uh, it seemed like he felt more interested in flipping, you know, the metaphorical bird to the media chasing him down than actually saying anything meaningful. But yeah, so those two guys are out. Uh, the... Quarry owner's son is still in prison. They all had, all three had got life in prison, but, you know, two are out on parole. Jeez. They're like in their 60s or something like that. Well, I hope they got a lot of therapy in there and they are privately more contrite and aware. One hopes. <laughs> One hopes. <laughs> um, And it was right. February 26th is... Ed's day. Ed actually died in 2012. Hmm. Well, we can celebrate February 26th, Ed Ray Day. We can. We and, you know, that'll be coming up for us at some point. So we're in the early parts of February. Yeah, as we're recording right now, it's in the early parts of February. But uh, whenever you listen to this, whenever you learn about it, February 26th is Ed Ray Day. And I think it's just a day where we will do something nice for someone that isn't us. Like, go to, like, a a pet shelter or a people shelter and you know just do something nice and also pour one out for it <laughs> and then pour one out yeah do something nice and then <laughs> have a beer and pour one out <laughs> and that is where and this is how i will conclude my story <laughs> pour one out for ed don't kidnap children sell the van just sell the van just sell the van Pour one out February 26th at Ray Day, and then sell the van. Don't kidnap the kids. The end. Solid life advice. 
All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Theme music by Cosimo Fogg. You can reach your lovely hosts at All Things Terror Podcast on Insta and All Things Terror on Twitter or Gmail. If you like us, let people know. Give us a rating, a review, a subscribe wherever you listen, and tell a friend. We love doing this and we love sharing it with y'all. See you next time. Also, hang on. Pause. Cut this out, Clint. I have to go beat my dog because he's chewing on something. <sighs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> okay, so now you're going to stop, Felix, when I come to scold you? God damn it. God damn Naturally. it. Naturally. Fuck that fucking fuck, fuck, fuckity fuck. Okay. Uh, all right. Three, two, one. Back in.